there. Thanks so much for tuning in to this message from Faith Community. While you're here, let us know where you're joining from in the comments and share anything that sticks out to you throughout the message. We hope you're encouraged and inspired to move from where you are to where God wants you to be. We started last week a new series uh, called Advent, and I did not create Advent. Advent has been celebrated for over 1,500 years as a season in the liturgical calendar or the church calendar uh, about the coming of Jesus, preparing for him to return, but also looking how he is going to uh, come be present with us in this season and even into the next year. I didn't grow up celebrating Advent. Maybe some of you did, Uh, but it's a time to slow down, slow down. Normally what we do in this season is we just speed up, right? We go at supersonic hyperspeed, about November 15th hits, and then the year is over because we're thinking about all the food we got to make, the parties we got to go to, the gifts that we have to buy that we don't really want to buy, that people expect us to buy, you know what I mean, all those kind of things. And we just get busy, 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 busy. And what happens is the real reason why we're in this season kind of gets lost. I think what's interesting is this season, uh, 2020 as it is, is that it's forced us to slow down. Right? Like, how many of you guys learned how to cook? I mean, I just put something in the microwave or call Uber or DoorDash, right? But like, you learned how to cook, or you're spending more time with your family, or it's things that you were forced to do that I hope in some way you've realized that it's not all bad, that just rediscovering family, rediscovering community, rediscovering rest, rediscovering being bored, right? It's kind of a good thing. Slowing down is hard, though, because when we slow down, we have to confront issues, When we slow down, we have to pay attention to some things that we've tried not to pay attention to by just being busy. Sometimes we wear busyness like a badge of honor, don't we? How's your life? Busy. What are you doing? I'm just busy. What are you busy with being busy? (laughs) Right? We're just so busy. But slowing down and Advent gives us the opportunity to focus on hope and peace and joy and love and Jesus being present. Last week we talked about hope. Hope where there is no hope. A hope against all hope or as It was written in Romans, even when there is no reason to hope. We're looking at the story of Ruth unfolding over four chapters and how her story is really our story. The story of Ruth is really the story of Christmas. It's the story of Jesus. And this week, I want to talk about peace. And I want to talk about peace where there is no peace. Probably the most famous passage of the Christmas story is Luke 2.14, right? It says, and everybody say it with me, glory to God in the highest and... Yeah, we all got a version of it. I'll just read you mine. Uh, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace, goodwill towards men. It's what the angels say, right? They say, glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace, goodwill towards men. About that time, the music comes in in the Christmas service, and it's all pretty, and it's flowery, and it's orchestral, right? And the angels glowing, and it's just this beautiful scene, and it's nothing like it happened. Because these angels are in Bethlehem, which is a small little city. Small little town. It's not a metropolis. And they're talking to shepherds out in the field. God hasn't spoken for 400 years. The the Israelites, they're under Roman occupation. They're not even free. They're subjugated. They're oppressed. They're looking for a king. They're waiting for God to speak. They know their history. I'll tell you one thing they're not looking for is a baby. We've sanitized Christmas, haven't we? We've made it all joyful and beautiful and wonderful and lights, and and, and that's good. That's the result of Jesus coming, but that's not what was on people's mind, right? There's no peace on earth. It would be like if if God said, you know what? I'm going to save the United States of America 
and please don't go all crazy political on me. I'm just using this as an example. I'm going to save the United States of America, and I'm going to, I'm going to have a baby be born in Jefferson County, out in the fields of Hillsborough, Missouri. And I'm going to make the grand announcement to the person out there, I don't know, cutting grass. Hey, by the way, peace on earth, goodwill towards men. The savior of your country, the savior of your world is here. A baby. Come on, God. You spoke the world into existence. You do miracles and stuff. You chose a teenage girl and got her miraculously pregnant. So much so that her husband is afraid that people are going to think she cheated on him. And they got to hide out in a cave and have this baby. And this is your plan to save the world? We're being oppressed by the Roman Empire. We've got no rights. We've got no freedom. We don't need a stinking baby. We need a warrior. Right? So interesting. There's no peace. But maybe we needed to find peace. You ever step back and think, what are the angels saying? I don't know, Josh, I thought we were in Ruth. Now we're in Luke. What's going on? <laughs> what, are the, what are these angels saying? Why are they saying peace on earth, goodwill towards men? Now, the word for peace here is the Greek word, irene, and I just wrote that out and it doesn't benefit you. That's just the Greek word, right? It means this. There's layers of meaning to it. And one meaning is a state of national tranquility. Exemption from the rage and havoc of war. There's that layer. Here's a really good layer. The peace between individuals. Harmony, accord, concord, security, safety, prosperity, felicity, because peace and harmony make and keep things safe and prosperous. Wow, what if this be peace between people? Like whether you're an elephant or a donkey, you have peace. Like whether you think this about COVID, you think this about COVID, you have peace. Peace between people. Man, that would be wonderful. Peace. It means uh, the Messiah's peace. The way that leads to peace is, is salvation. Salvation. And then, then the, the, probably the most detailed definition is the tranquil state of a soul assured of its salvation through Christ and so fearing nothing from God and content with its earthly lot of whatsoever sort that is. An assured state of the soul of its salvation through Christ and so fearing nothing from God and content with its earthly lot of whatsoever sort that is. The angels are saying there is peace on earth. There's not peace outside of you, but there is peace on the inside of you. It's possible. It's, it's here. That no matter what is happening, no matter circumstantially what is going on, there's peace. There's peace. There's this tranquil state of your soul. There's peace between you and God, which means there can be peace between you and us. Like peace has to happen here before it can happen here. You ever thought it's somebody else's job to make peace? Like, fix my circumstances. Fix the situation. Then there'll be peace. And God says, no, no, no. Peace on earth. It's right now. It's here. But no, 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 but it's not here. No, no, it's not here, but it can be here, but it's not here. And sometimes it's not even here. Right? In 1863, a fellow by the name of Henry Wadsworth Longfellow Friday, December 25th, 1863, he, he writes this poem called I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day. Anybody ever heard that? I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day. He's literally sitting in a facility where he can hear the bells of the church ringing in Cambridge. They're ringing, they're ringing, they're ringing, they're ringing. Two years prior, his wife died unexpectedly because her dress caught on fire and they couldn't put it out and she burned to death. He has... I think, uh, I think they said he had five kids and he was severely depressed and grief-stricken trying to figure out what was going to happen. On top of that, the civil war is raging in the country. 
And on top of that, he gets news that his son, who snuck off to join the war, even though he didn't want him to join the war, was mortally wounded that he thought his son ended up living, but only words he had was, your son has been shot, and we don't know if he's dead or alive, and they had to rush out to find where he was. And Henry Longfellow is sitting, he's a poet, he's sitting on Friday, December 25th, at some sort of desk, and he's hearing these church bells ring, 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 ring. When's the last time you ever heard church bells ring? It clamors, right? Boom, boom. It's kind of haunting. Boom, boom. We hear them over and over and over again. And, and, and he writes these words on the heels of his son being shot and his wife dying. He says, I, I heard the bells on Christmas Day, their old familiar carols play. And wild and sweet, the words repeat of peace on earth, goodwill towards men. And thought how, as the day had come, the belfries of all Christendom had rolled along the unbroken song of peace on earth, goodwill towards men. Till ringing, swinging on its way, the world revolved from night to day, a voice, a chime, a chant sublime of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Then from each black accursed mouth, the cannon thundered in the south, and with the sound, the carols drowned of peace on earth, goodwill towards men. It was if, as if an earthquake rent the hearthstones of a continent and made forlorn the households born of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Listen to this. And in despair I bowed my head, there is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill towards men. And in despair I bowed my head, there is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Isn't that sometimes how we feel? I know what the bells are saying. I know the song they're proclaiming. But I don't have peace here. And I don't have peace here. And I'm struggling to understand glory to God in the highest and peace on earth, goodwill towards men. I wonder what what song the bells are playing that we're listening to. I wonder what tune we keep hearing on repeat. Not what it's supposed to say, but what is it saying? What are we listening to? What's resounding and clamoring in our minds? Not what should it be. I don't want the Christian answer. I don't want the right answer. I want you to to really dig deep and say, what is the answer? And I really wonder that as it relates to this story in Ruth. I told you we were going to be in Ruth, and here we are. Last week, if you remember, the, 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 the story opens up with Naomi and Elimelech, and they're in a time of famine, and they're the two characters. They're married. Naomi, her name means my delight, and Elimelech, his name means my God is king, and they're in Bethlehem, which is the house of bread, but it's severe famine. And in, in that famine, they decide to move to the country of Moab with their two sons. Now, Moab was a, a foreign country. It was a place that God forbid them to really live, and he expressly forbid the Israelites to intermarry with the Moabites, so there's this racial issue, tension going on, and they move there, and just because they need food, and while they're there, Elimelech dies, Naomi's sons marry two Moabite women, and then they ended up dying, and now you have three women who are widowed, and who have no place to go, and who are in the most precarious, dangerous situation that they could be. They had no way to provide for themselves, and Naomi and Ruth end up leaving Moab to go back to Bethlehem, back to the house of bread. Why? Just for a shot, just for a chance at survival. And, and the story of chapter 1 ends 
with a little bit of hope, it was the beginning of the harvest season. That's where we ended last week. It was the beginning of the harvest season. It began with famine. It concludes with a little bit of hope of there being an opportunity for food. Chapter 2 opens up and it says this, Now there was a wealthy and influential man in Bethlehem named Boaz. Everybody say Boaz. That's a fun name to say, right? Who was a relative of Naomi's husband's Elimelech? Husband Elimelech. Now, here's the thing. The Bible is giving you and I information that it did not give its characters. We know more than Naomi and Ruth do. And if we're not careful, sometimes we think that Ruth and Naomi know the same things we do, but we know more than what they do. See, we already have peace and hope in the story because we know the end. Don't forget, they were living in it. They didn't know the end. They're like Longfellow. And on that day I said, there is no peace on earth. And it says this, One day, Ruth the Moabite, don't forget she's a foreigner, said to Naomi, let me go out into the harvest fields to pick up the stalks of grain left behind anyone who is kind enough to let me do it. Let me pause there. It was interesting in in, in God's economy, what he had said, this is how he baked it in place, that if you're a wealthy landowner or you're just a landowner and you have crops and you plant them, when it comes time to harvest, when you're harvesting, inevitably things are going to fall on the ground, right? Crops and stuff. God says this, hey, you leave those crops on the ground and you let the widow, the orphan, and the foreigner come and pick them up. Doesn't that sound very inefficient and not maximizing profit in our American mindset? Like, I'm thinking how much profit's left on that ground. And God says, it's not really all yours. This is a way that we can provide for those who are less fortunate. Let them come and pick up the fields. You just keep going. That's the way that God had baked it in. So that's why Ruth says, maybe I can go to somebody's field and I can pick up what's left over so that you and me, Naomi, can survive. Now, it wasn't the good stuff that was left over. It was, the, it was the, kind of the bad stuff that was left over. So that's her mindset. Let's go. And, and Naomi says, all right, Ruth, let's, let's do that. And don't forget, Ruth is a, a widowed foreign woman. She has no rights. She has really no opportunity to defend herself. She's at the mercy of whomever's field that she walks into. And it says this, uh, Naomi said, all right, daughter, go ahead. So Ruth went out to gather the grain behind the harvesters. And, And don't forget these four words, and as it happened, and as it happened, she found herself working in a field that belonged to Boaz, the relative of her future father in law, Elimelech. If you're not careful, you'll read that and you'll think, oh, yeah, well, Ruth, she knew to go to Boaz's field. She didn't even know who Boaz was. Naomi didn't even know, oh, yeah, Ruth, go to, go to Boaz's field. I mean, they're all farmers in, 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 in Bethlehem, which is another interesting place. This story takes place in the same city that Jesus was, same town Jesus was born in. So as it happened, as it happened is showing the, the, the providence of God, that he's, he's working behind the scenes, that he's the one that gave us some hope at the end, that it's harvest time, and now he's providentially working in that, and that Ruth is going to go to Boaz's field, and so, so it comes to verse 4. It says, while she was there, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvest and said, Lord be with you. He said, and I said, Lord bless you. What does that mean? Hey, brother, how are you doing? Oh, I'm highly favored and blessed of God and blah, blah, blah. Okay, good. And you move on. That's what that really is right there. All right? It's not like, ooh, these people are spiritual. It was a common greeting in their culture. Then Boaz asked his foreman, uh, who, who's that young woman over there? Who does she belong to? Interesting. You know, he said, who does she belong to? Who do Boaz think he is? But in that culture, women were identified by who their family was or who their husband was. Whose family is she a part of? That's what he's saying. Whose family is she a part of? And it's interesting that he notices her. It doesn't say that he noticed her because she was like amazingly beautiful. And maybe she was. He just, he just noticed her. She's, she's different. I have never seen her before. And the reformer said, well, she's the young woman from Moab. Listen to that. She's identified by where she's from. Foreigner. 
who came back with Naomi. She asked me this morning if she could gather grain behind the harvesters, and she's been hard at work ever since, except for a few minutes just resting in the shelter. So then Boaz goes over to Ruth. He said, listen, my daughter. Love that phrase. Listen, my daughter. Stay right here behind the young women in the field working. See which part of the field they are harvesting and then follow them. I have warned, of, I have warned the young men not to treat you roughly. And when you are thirsty, help yourself to the water they have drawn from the well. Now, you have to just kind of pause here and, and again understand the position that Ruth is in. She's widowed. She has no way to provide for herself. She's a foreign woman in a foreign country. And Boaz says, hey, 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 you stay right here. Stay behind the women. I've told my workers to not harass you. What he's saying, I told them not to mess with you because women were not just harassed physically. They were harassed sexually in that culture. She's vulnerable. She's vulnerable. And Boaz is saying, I will protect you. This is a safe place for you. And hey, if you're thirsty, go get some water. Whatever you need. She's not one of his workers. She did not plant those crops. She did not cultivate those crops, but she gets to partake of those crops. Start seeing God working in this situation. You can begin to see that Boaz is a type and a shadow of a, of a character in Scripture or the one whose Scripture is all about. It's beginning to unfold what is going on here. How vulnerable she is. Then verse 10 says, Ruth, this is her response to Boaz saying, hey, I'm going to take care of you. Ruth fell at his feet and thanked him warmly. What have I done to deserve such kindness, she asked. I'm only a foreigner. She's overwhelmed at the kindness and the compassion of this man who owes her nothing. And she knows it because she says, I'm only a foreigner. I have no rights in your country. I ultimately have no right to be here. And not only are you going to let me glean from your field, you're going to protect me, and you're going to, you're going to help me. Isn't it interesting? You think about how often it is we come to God and we say, but God, I'm only this. But God, all, all I've done is this. Or God, this is, this is the things I have done. And, and we, we identify ourselves before the Father on the basis of something we've done or on what we've chosen to identify ourselves as. We see ourselves so differently than God sees us, don't we? We come to God on the basis of deserving, on the basis of, of our performance, on the basis of, God, look at, my, look at my list of accomplishments. I'm only a foreigner, she says. Thank you for your kindness. She could maybe say, thank you for your grace, this undeserved, unmerited favor that God gives. And Boaz, when she says, but Boaz, I'm, I'm only a foreigner, Yes, I know, Boaz replied, but I also know about everything you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. Boaz knew her backstory. Boaz knew she was a Moabite before he walked into the field that day. Bethlehem's a small town. Everybody knows everybody. He knows. Even though he knew that she was a widow. Widows were not nearly as, as, uh, you know, someone that, as a woman that, wanted, that a man who wasn't married wanted to be with. She's got all these things working against her. I know. I know. And I know everything that you've done. And he says this. He said, I heard how you left your mother and father in your own land to live here among complete strangers. May the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge, may he reward you fully for what you have done. Now, the word reward there, I just want to stop there. The word reward. I told you what peace was in, in Greek, irene. Well, the Hebrew counterpart for peace is the word shalom. This is the word shalom. Okay, 
close there, but shalom, this peace of God, it really represents wholeness and completeness and restoration. And he's saying, may the Lord make you whole. This, this word in particular means to enter into a covenant of peace. So he's saying, may the God whom you, you, you chose to follow when you came with Naomi, may the, that God, may he enter into a covenant of peace with you and may you be restored, may you be made whole, may you be made complete. Think about that for a moment. She thinks she's there for barley. No, 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 no. God brought her there to be completely restored, 100% made whole. Think about the pain it is to have your husband die. Think about the, the loneliness it is to be in a completely different country. Maybe the language was even different, and then the religion was different, and the customs were different, and all of these things that she's experienced. God brings her to this moment. May he reward you. And she's an outsider, right? Yeah, all of this that is going on right now, what Ruth is experiencing is the grace of God being poured out on her. The picture that we have of God is that God's arms are wide and here, that his wings are wide and they bring us in to make us whole. Rarely will God change external circumstances to give you peace. But he will always begin to change and mess with the internal realities of our lives. See, I think in the, in, the, in the process of making Christmas what it is today, we've lost the power of it. The beauty of Christmas is wonderful. I mean, you know, we do it here. Lights. And, but the reason we can recognize the beauty is because of the pain and the brokenness and the darkness to which Jesus came. If you've got no pain, no brokenness, no darkness, then you, you fail to see the beauty of it. We fail to see that we have a God who embraces the darkness to bring us out of the darkness he doesn't try to get us to come to him. He comes to us. It was the angels that came to make an announcement. It is Boaz who comes to Ruth, not Ruth who comes to Boaz. She could have stayed in that field and never known who he was. Think about that for a moment. God is not afraid of your pain. God is not afraid of your secrets. God is not afraid of the things that make you feel insecure and vulnerable. Those are the very things he wants to touch and to heal and to breathe into. And I wonder... I just wonder if, not saying he caused anything this year, but is he giving us an opportunity to be healed and not be distracted with success and busyness and movement and achievement? Everybody was saying at the beginning of this year, oh, it's 2020. We're going to have 2020 vision. Well, we didn't mean what we got. (laughs) God says, you want 2020 vision? Let me put these lenses on you. Do you really want 2020 vision? Or you just want to see what you want to see? Or you just want all, everything to happen and you don't have to go through anything. Because we're going to learn about Ruth here in a second. All the blessings she got. I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but she says, this is her response to the reward. She says, I hope I continue to please you, sir. You have comforted me by speaking so kindly to me, even though I'm not one of your workers. Wow. How many of you would be so surprised that if you went to God as a foreigner, whatever that means for you, if he just spoke kindly to you. Hmm. He would not withhold truth, but the way with which he would speak truth would be kind. Verse 14 says, At mealtime, Boaz called to her, Come over here and help yourself to some food. You can dip your bread into the sour wine. 
So she sat with the harvesters, and Boaz gave her some roasted grain to eat, and she ate all she wanted and still had some left over. When Ruth went back to work again, Boaz ordered his young men, let her gather the grain right among the sheaves without stopping, and listen, pull out some heads of the barley, the good stuff, from the bundles and drop them on purpose for her. Let her pick them up and don't give her a hard time. I, I think it's safe to say at this point that who Boaz represents. Like if we were going to take a test and I said, who does Boaz represent in this story? You would all say, you guys passed. The first, the first service, I didn't know what they thought because they didn't say anything. So, okay. All right. Jesus. I've got a thought. I can't prove it. But I wonder if there's a picture of communion here. He invites her to his table. He gives her bread. He gives her sour wine. There is more at the table than what she can partake of. There are things left over. He says, come and die. She's not even a worker. She's not on his payroll. She's what we would call someone leeching off the system. Right? She doesn't deserve to be there. Like I said, she didn't plant. She didn't cultivate. And the, the, the nerve of Boaz to say, come sit at my table. How many people like Ruth do you think got to sit at his table? How many of his workers are sitting off in the corner eating something else, thinking, pulling their sandwich out of their paper, brown paper bag, thinking, do you wish I got to sit at the table? I don't get no sour wine, whatever that is. I don't get to dip my bread. Oh, oh, and on top of that, do you hear what Boaz wants us to do? For this Moabite woman, now i got to pull the head of the barley out, taking more time, drop it on the ground on purpose for her to pick up. We're wasting money. We're wasting time. What's up with Boaz? You know, it's this picture of more than enough and of abundance. Now she gets heads of barley. God is just pouring it out on her, blessing her. She didn't deserve it. She didn't earn it. She can receive it if she'll pick it up. It's interesting. It's interesting the way that grace works, right? It's kind of like that, that parable that Jesus told her, you know, there's these workers, and uh, this guy's got a vineyard, I think. I think it's what it is. You can correct me later. But anyway, these workers start working at a particular time in the day, and then other workers come at another time, and the other workers come at the end of time, and then it's time to pay them. And Jesus, he, in, the, in the gardener, the vintner, or whatever, he pays everybody the same. Like, I started at seven, bro. He started at three. Why does he get the same as me? It's called grace. I've been saved for 25 years. I've been living my life, and this Yahoo walks in on his deathbed and repents. We both end up in the same spot. That ain't fair. That's grace. You don't earn it. And when you stop trying to, just pick it up. Just receive it. Just be thankful. Gracious. Because look what Ruth does with it. So they're dropping it. And Ruth, Ruth gathered the barley there all day. And when she beat it out, that grain in the evening, what does that mean? She had to make the grain edible. She had to process it. She had to, she had to internalize it, right? You can't just bite a head of barley. You ever try to walk through a wheat field and eat the wheat? It's disgusting. You ever try to suck on sugar cane? I've done that. First time I was in Haiti, like, you want some sugar cane? I'm like, what's that? Well, it's how you make sugar, Josh. Oh, I thought it was white in a bag. And you fibrous material, and you chew on it, and like, you know, it's crazy. Then you see the work it takes to get sugar, right? She works with it. 
But she carried it back to town and she showed her mother-in-law. And she gave her the roasted grain that was left over from her meal. Not only did she get did she get the raw ingredients, she got a whole meal to fill her up. And listen to this. Here's what Naomi says. Where did you get all this grain today? Where did you work? See, Naomi didn't know she was going to Boaz's field. That's what I was saying in the beginning. So Ruth told her mother-in-law. She told her all about the man in whose field she had worked. And she's like, the man I, the man I worked with today, his name's Boaz. Can you imagine if you're hearing this story? His name's Boaz. She has no idea. This is what Naomi says. May the Lord bless him. Naomi told her daughter-in-law, he is, he is showing his kindness to us because as well as to your dead husband, that man is one of our closest relatives, one of our family redeemers. Some translations, one of our kinsmen redeemers. In that moment, the lack of hope and peace was gone because she heard that Ruth was in, uh, in Boaz's field. That man is one of our family redeemers. She's probably doing the happy dance, shouting, because in that culture, God says that when a woman is widowed, that the next male relative, whether that be a brother or an uncle, whomever, has to redeem that family, has to marry that woman, will provide uh, for that family, will have children, but also has to assume the debt, has to pay for the land, has to take everything in. They redeem, they buy back, they restore, they make whole again. That's the, the culture that was in place. Can you imagine if we had to do that? Right, that's your response, tells me no. You're like, you have life insurance? Good, good good they were the life insurance so that people didn't have like ruth and naomi didn't have to live like that didn't have to be harassed in the field because of something that was beyond their control she says he's our family redeemer this is the story is turning right here and this is what naomi tells tells ruth she said, well, well, okay, great. Ruth said, well, what's more? Boaz even told me to come back and to stay with his servants until the entire harvest is completed. Naomi says, good. Do as he said. Stay with his young women right there in the whole harvest. You might be harassed in other fields, but you'll be safe with him. Naomi knows what goes on. You, Ruth, you stay right there. You got a good thing. Stay right there. So Ruth worked alongside the women in Boaz's field and gathered grain with them until the end of the barley harvest. Then she continued working with them throughout the wheat harvest in the early summer, and all the while she lived with her mother-in-law. We ended with famine. We began with famine, and we're continuing in harvest. Ruth continues to be blessed and nourished, not by something that she did, but by something that others did. You see the peace? playing out in Ruth's life. Like I said, I think Ruth's story is really our story. It's our story. We, we begin to do things and make decisions. We start following God, and we don't know if he's in it or he's not, but he is. But he is, and he's working behind the scenes. It's like we're saying, even though we can't see it, he's working. Even though we can't feel it, he's working. Because we're listening to the bells. Dum, 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 dum. Wadsworth, back to those bells. I read an incomplete poem to you. He did not end on the stanza that I read. He, 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 he did not end with saying, and in despair I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill towards men. He, he concluded the poem like this. 
Then pealed the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail with peace on earth, goodwill towards men. Listen to these bells. Then the bells, the pealed the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail with peace on earth, goodwill towards men. Then pealed the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail with peace on earth, goodwill towards men. That's what the gospel does. That's what the bells of the gospel do. They keep ringing and ringing and ringing. Peace on earth, goodwill towards men. Salvation, healing, provision, completeness, wholeness. I don't care what's going on in the world. The bells continue to ring and sing the same song. But do we listen? Do we hear? Can we sit long enough like Longfellow and re- receive the message of the bells and not the message of what's going on in society and culture at the time? Peace on earth, goodwill towards you. That's it. That's the message of Christmas. Aren't you thankful the scenario wasn't perfect? The situation wasn't perfect. It's an incomplete, imperfect, broken situation which Jesus enters into and the wise men find. That's the connection point. That's the entry point for you and me because that's where he finds us. That's why he can say today is the day of salvation. One more time. Then pealed the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail, with peace on earth, goodwill to men. His wife did not get resurrected. Yes, his son was shot, but I'm so thankful that Longfellow leaves us there. I thought it would be appropriate if we could hear that song. Now you know the story behind it. Now you know where, what position the heart was in that it was written from. Kind of a haunting song, but true nonetheless. So I just want to encourage you as, as Tim sings, knowing the story, knowing the words that you reflect, what are you listening to? What are the messages the bells are sending to you? And what are you going to choose? Or should I say this? How will you choose to write the rest? How will you choose to write the rest? Of peace on earth, goodwill 
Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for this opportunity to discover and or rediscover the peace that is present in this season. As Paul would write, it's a peace that passes and transcends our understanding and guards our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Jesus, you said that you give peace not as the world gives peace. So we ask you for your peace as you are the Prince of Peace. Yes, I I pray for peace externally, but Father, I pray that it would begin internally within each and every one of us, sitting in this room and watching online today. May the peace of God, may the peace of God inhabit your soul, your heart, and your mind. And may we prepare for you to come in this season, to come in 2021, and ultimately to return again. Father, may you meet every need that is present in this room, physically, financially, emotionally, psychologically. You are our healer, and we ask you for healing in Jesus' name. Every need of every individual watching, Father, inhabit their place of residence. May they sense your presence, and may peace be in that home. God, we just ask you to do all of these things in the mighty and the powerful name of your son, Jesus Christ. And as Paul said in Ephesians, to him who is able to do exceedingly and abundantly above anything that we could ever ask for or imagine at the power that is at work within us, it is the power of Jesus. We pray in his name. Everybody said, amen. Hey, thanks for joining us online today. If you're new here or you made the decision to follow Jesus, we would love to connect with you and let you know how to take your next steps. Real quick, text NEW TO FAITH to 97000 and someone from our team will get in touch with you soon. You can also visit our website at faithcommunity.co to learn more about the church and stay in touch on social media. Shoot us a DM over on Facebook or Instagram if you have any questions and you can even share the service with your friends. If you're joining us on YouTube, make sure you hit that red subscribe button and the bell icon so you're the first to know when new content is available. And hey, if there's anything going on in your life that you would like someone to pray with you about, please let us know. Email prayer at faithcommunity.co or submit a request through the app and someone from our team will pray specifically for you and your situation. Thanks again for being here today. We'll see you next time.